What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is an innovative industry leader. She has more than 14 years experience in the lodging industry. She has a passion for people and pineapples. She owns three hotels, the Hampton Inn and Suites in Scottsburg, Indiana, the Staybridge Suites in Fishers, Indiana, and the Home Two in El Reno, Oklahoma. She also wrote a book recently called How to Buy a Hotel, Roadmap to Hotel Ownership. We'll put all that in the liner notes. And she is the founder and hospitality strategist at the Vaughn Group. Ladies and gentlemen, Devon Reeves. Welcome, Devon. And the crowd goes wild. The crowd goes wild, right? We just blew the air horn. So Devon, I know that you've been in the industry for 14 years. Um, I feel like in the past six months, after all of that hard work over 14 years, you've become an overnight success. So that's kind of like a joke, right? You've put in all this work and now you're an overnight success. I'm seeing you blow up everywhere. How amazed are you with the kind of rocket ship that you're flying right now? So crazy. I still can't believe it. I just spoke in Chicago this past weekend. People were coming to me. It's like, oh my gosh, Devon, I follow you. We got to take a selfie. I brought your book. I brought it for you to sign in. And oh my gosh, I saw you. Do you remember me from last year? So it's a little weird. I And I went to, um, I spoke at the Boutique Lodging Conference, Lodging Leaders mm-hmm. Association Conference in New York the week, matter of fact, last week, I think. And um, the kind of the same thing. And I saw my old boss. So it's, it's just, it's kind of weird. It's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's weird when people know you before you can, like, I don't have to introduce myself anymore. So it's, it's kind of weird. Well, you don't have to introduce your, yourself, but how was my introduction? Oh my gosh, you get two thumbs up. You got an A plus. Yes. Horn. <laughs> Okay, so one of the things, well, there's so many things I'm curious about, but um, on your path to hotel ownership, um, I'm very curious about in your 14 years, like, how did you finally make the jump that's like, you know what, I want to own hotels, and this is how I'm going to do it? Um, Actually, the jump came, um, I was a part of under 30 gateways to not I don't think it's around anymore, but it's under under the American Hotel Lodging Association. And uh, it was for hotel professionals who's under or lodging professionals under the age of 30. And I was in operations at the time. And I just assumed everybody else was going to be in operations. I didn't know that there were any jobs outside of working, you know, outside of the hotel or above property level. And at that time, you know, a lot of folks who became my, they're still my friends to this day. They were developing hotels, you know, owning hotels. I'm like, wait, what? You can own a hotel? And they're like, some of them, they inherited a hotel. But either way, the fact that they own a hotel and now they're like, owner like third or fourth. I'm like, wait, you're not, we're not even 30 yet, you know? And, and of course it's making me feel like this small and we got these people all the way up here, right? And um, so that was just a light bulb. Like, oh my gosh, I can own a hotel. And um, there wasn't a pathway, there wasn't a roadmap, there wasn't like a, you know, wasn't Google like it is today or YouTube University or social media or even podcasts where you kind of listen to kind of help you navigate to get you started. And um, like I even went to the CEO of Hyatt. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to buy a hotel. And he's like, wait, it's like, it wasn't, it wasn't a pathway, like, you know. And um, so I just had to like figure it out. So I took a non-paid internship um, at Whole Roth HTL. So shout out to Carl Breslin. And um, you should have him on your podcast too. Uh, shout out to, to Paul Breslin. Um, you know, I worked with him for about, I worked non-paid for him for three months. Mm-hmm. So I worked there in the morning. I worked at the Hyatt at night and um, to pay my bills. This is post-graduation. And um, I really loved it. Um, I was intrigued and I was there for about two years and I went to CH and Warnock and Boston, based out of Boston, um, Beverly, Beverly area, North Shore area. And again, more asset management consulting, more on the transactional side. In 2017, I got bit by the entrepreneurship bug and formed my own group or firm, the Vaughn Group. 
and uh, 2019 slash 2020 partnered with um, um, a good friend from school, Jessica Myers, who started Epic Collective. Then we partnered with uh, Nassau Investments based out of Ohio. And that's where we got our first hotel deal together um, on my own, meaning not, you know, I wasn't in corporate. And um, and that was the, the 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 iconic, the one where people heard heard about me from the iconic 8.3 uh, home two suites deal in uh, the famous arena, Oklahoma. Awesome. So one of the things that I've found, and my dad would always tell this to me. He's like, Dan, you know, you can do whatever, you can accomplish anything. You just have to put your mind to it. And for me, so often. I just didn't even, there were, there are so many times in all of our lives, but for me in particular, um, you know, starting a company at 26 or I just didn't know any better. And I was like, okay, right. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. And I think it was just yeah. because I, I just didn't know. Um, right. And I just tried it. So, and that's just my, that's my story. Just like, okay, I'm going to put my mind to, it, I'm going to do it like what was what created the shift in your head um I guess it might have been working with Paul that just said hey you just you can accomplish anything and this is kind of how you do it like what flipped that switch for you because oftentimes what from what all these conversations that I've had I find that that switch or that hurdle to get over is actually quite surmountable it's just oftentimes we just don't know how to take that first bite so you will yeah I've kind of always been a go-getter I've um, mm -hmm. always been competitive. I played clarinet in high school and always had to be first chair or like first chair for those who are not in band. That means like you are, you know, you get the solo projects, you know, you're, you're number one, you get seen, you get heard, you know. And you're playing you're the leader. melody and not the harmony. Right. You know, so that was me. That was, I always had to be number one. Same thing with being president of organization, getting good grades. Like I just always been that so it's kind of always been in been in me um I did get a little distracted probably when I got to college I probably wasn't as ambitious as I used to be as I was in high school I will say that I got distracted a lot all those parties but um um yeah but working at the Hyatt that's where I got my start working as a front desk agent and like, again, I wanted to be, you know, employee of the month. I was striving to be, you know what I mean? That was just me. I always wanted to be the best. And uh, so I thought, you know, my goal was to be a general manager. I didn't, because I thought that was the top position. And then once I realized it was the hotel owner, I was like, oh, okay, we're going to be a hotel owner. I didn't know what it meant. You know, I'm like in my 20s. I don't know what that means, that you're owning the building and the business and the real estate and the complexities and raising capital. I didn't know any of that. I was just like, I just want to buy a hotel. And that was it. I love that. So as you're talking about that, I'm reminded of a friend of mine who came up through operations, right? He went on this path. He was a general manager. And then what well, it was, his, he was a food and beverage manager. Then he just, he's like, my goal is I just want to be a GM. That was like his, his, his life goal. Then somehow he went, he became a GM and then moved beyond it to when you, you know, you're talking about um, lenders equity partners, all this, like kind of raising the capital stack. To me, owning a hotel or developing a hotel, it's like, I have a really hard time getting my head around that capital stack and understanding like, where do all the sources of funds come? How do I get all this lined up? Like he, he managed to figure it out on his way. Like what was the big like aha moment for you trying to understand that, okay, there's this big moat of required capital to own a hotel, but you know what, I'm going to figure it out. And this person helped me and boom, here we are. What was that step so, for you? So I learned a lot in that non-paid internship because we had to help the clients or clients at our clients at the time um, develop that capital stack and help, mm -hmm. you know, help raise capital. But when you, the type of deals that I was working on, they were really, really, really large deals. And so you have to get into like capital markets, meaning you bring in a broker to help you kind of facilitate and, and get that capital stack together. Um, so I wasn't as hands-on because the broker would help do it. Um, with the home two suites deal, it was less than 10 million. So it was a smaller deal. Um, so we didn't necessarily need to bring in, the, the, the capital stack wasn't as complicated. Mm -hmm. um, so I was actually overcomplicating it. 
Um, oh, tell me about yeah, that. Like, how, how are you overcomplicating it? Well, because before, like, I probably could have owned a hotel a long time ago. It's just that I was overcomplicating the process. I wasn't thinking of starting small, bringing friends and family together and buying a hotel, looking for the deal. Like, I just, I wasn't, because I was so in the trenches. I didn't, like, wake up and be like, duh, Davon. You know, the light bulb didn't click. And um, so I was overcomplicating it because, I was so used to looking at larger deals. As I mentioned before, you, had, you have to bring in brokers or get into the capital markets to help you find both the, the, the both sides of the capital stack, meaning equity and debt, mm -hmm. right? And so when you get into the smaller transactions or the smaller deals, probably like 10 million or less or even 5 million or less, you don't really need to bring in a broker to help you find capital. That's something that you should be able to do, you know, on your own, friends and family, um, using different platforms like crowdfunding platforms. So it's a lot easier to raise capital now. Um, I mean, it's still hard, did, but it's- Wait, did it's, you use a, crowdfund, a crowdfunding platform to get your first one going? No, I didn't. I used, oh. uh, the, I used the old school way of crowdfunding, which is friend, friends and family. Yeah, I got- Calling deal. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, people heard, you know, they just listened to me because at the time, no one was talking about hotel ownership. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm like this black girl talking about hotel ownership and I'm like on podcasts and webinars. I'm like, who is this girl talking about hotel ownership? And so people, so I kind of started making it cool and making it more attainable. And so people just started reaching out and they wanted to learn more about it. And I started developing courses and everything. And, um, and uh, um, so I was able to build a community and to build that trust. Right. And so um, I was able to to, and then started talking to my friends and family more about hotel ownership. Um, and of course, they do their due diligence, which I always recommend to everybody do your own due diligence. Investing in hotels is very risky, just because it's real estate, right? Um, so um, yeah, that's, that, that's how I was able to raise funds the, the first the first time. Uh, actually, both times on both all three transactions was just raising capital from you know wow. friends and family. We we didn't we didn't have to use the we didn't have to use the platform. Okay. I, I'm curious because I'm seeing a lot of people for real estate now, you know, there's always been this crowdsourcing, crowdfunding platform. It seems to be growing a little bit, but I, I don't know. I haven't seen it grow tremendously in the hotel space. What do you think is holding that back? Um, I don't think there's not really a sole platform. Mm. No, something may come in the future. There's not a sole platform. The pineapple and, platform. Oh my gosh, it's so cute. Um, there's not, there's actually, now that I think about it, there's really not a, a platform, a crowdfunding platform. Now there are websites, but they're not a platform. Mm -hmm. So the difference is the platform, you're just putting your deal on there and you're raising, you're, you know, you're raising capital for other investors. You're not partnering with someone else. Now mm -hmm. there are crowdfunding websites out there, but you have to partner with someone else on the deal. So that can slow things down, right? Yeah. Going back and forth with the partnership, finding a deal, meeting whatever their deal requirements, partnering with people that you don't know. Sometimes that just takes a long time to just go back and forth. And sometimes it just never gets done. Right. Yeah. Um, there are, and then also some, there are some crowdfunding platforms or broker dealer sites, not getting too technical. Um, there's a minimum requirement that you have to have in your portfolio. So oh. if you're a new hotel owner, or if you're new to the space and you don't have X amount of dollars in your real estate portfolio, or if not, it's, or you're not an accredited investor. So those type of barriers can limit um, um, some of the deals. So those are some of the reasons why, um, I, in my opinion, that the hotel industry hasn't really been able to capitalize or take advantage of the, the crowdfunding platforms out there. Because there's a lot of underserved folks who would love to invest, but they may not be an accredited yeah. investor. For those who don't know what an accredited investor is, and a credit investor is someone who makes over two hundred thousand a year, or, 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 or they have a net worth of a million dollars, excluding their primary residence. So uh, we can, we'll talk about more of the on the funding side. Is like I want to get into your book in a little bit, but what's in, and I just before we kind of switch gears, I've always found that accredited accredited investor. It's, I guess it's important because like if people are making more than X a year or they have a net worth over a million dollars, it kind of shows that maybe they're a bit more savvy 
with money or they know how to do it. But I also find it really limits the available pool of people who, you know, just want to, in little chunks, get their money to grow at a different rate of return than, let's say, just your regular stock and bond index fund or whatever. And I think it's, it's um, I, I understand the intention behind having this accredited investor threshold, but I also feel like it keeps a lot of people out of the game. What's your thought on that? Oh, I agree with you. Absolutely. It's a, you know, it's actually it's some deals that I wasn't able to, people couldn't invest in a deal because they weren't accredited investors. You know what I mean? And so like, to your point, that limits opportunities, that limit growth, that limits some um, folks from different ethnic backgrounds. Um, totally. It limits folks from different, you know, cultures, from different, you know, um, economical backgrounds where there's, they can't grow. They can't go to that next level. Like you mentioned of getting that, that maybe a greater rate of return because they're not able to tap into those, those investments. Cause there are some investments that's only for accredited investors. Yeah. And again, I, I want to tap into that one too, because to me, it seems like that is like something structurally that could be addressed in a, in a safe way that people could participate in these. But now, there are some funds, there are some platforms where you can be accredited non-accredited investors. It was um, through the Jobs Act passed by former, our former president, um, uh, Barack Obama. Um, and so he allowed some, some funds and some uh, people to establish funds and establish different crowdfunding platforms uh, where both accredited and non-accredited investors can invest. There's just not a lot for real estate. Mm, okay. Uh, well, I'd let, I want to learn more about that. But before we go too far down the road of your road to owning hotels, like, okay, so you started off with your wanting to be in the, the first line or the first soloist on clarinets. Then you started working <laughs> at, you know, you're in college, you're working at the Hyatt, you're doing an unpaid internship. You want your name on that employee of the month wall. Did, and, I and got it. I, got I, of it. Course I checked the box. Of, of course, course, you know, I did. And of I was first chair. Come on I know now. You, I know you did it all. But um, what what draws you to hospitality? Why do you love it so much? You know what? It is the people, the amount of people you come into contact with, both internally and externally. Sometimes I really do miss working at the hotel. Um, I always thought, what is past time? I didn't get a chance to talk to the front desk agent because it was really busy. But normally I take the time to talk to the front desk ask them how they're doing, you know, nice to them. I try to be as nice as possible to front desk agents because you know why? There are a lot of mean people to front desk agents. So my people who listening, you need to think twice about mean the front desk agents, okay? It's a lot totally. of hard work. It's a lot of hard work that we have to do. Not even just front desk agents, hotel employees, period, okay? Yeah. Especially right now with them, every, a lot of people being overworked, underappreciated, underpaid. So y'all listening, be as nice as possible to hospitality employees okay but you know what i love how you said that you said be nice as possible to us right even as an owner you could still consider yourself part of the whole team like you're you're remembering what got you up on that wall right and and yeah. all the different assholes that may have come across yeah. your front desk to you they're probably listening <laughs> <laughs> good listening. i still remember some of them actually <laughs> Oh, I remember good. some of them. I remember the mean ones, and I really, I'm, I remember the really nice ones too. Yep. And I'm hoping that there's a lot more nice ones. There has to be a lot more nice ones than mean ones, right? Yeah, but they were. Mm -hmm. If you think about, okay, so, so you're drawn to it. You, you, you love the work environment. You love interacting with people, both internal and external. But like, yeah. if you were to look at the thread that ties it all together, how do you define hospitality? People, you can automate the hospitality industry as much as you possibly can. It's the people. It's even some people who would prefer to stay in the hotel over at Airbnb just because of that human connection and that human interaction, right? Um, there are some people, now there are some people who don't want to deal with people at all. They want to go to their room and you will never know they're in a the hotel. They'll never come to the front desk. They'll never ask, they'll never do anything, right? But then you have some people who they still love a bartender making their drink. You know, mm -hmm. they still love going to the front desk agent and see how they can get an upgrade. 
you know, they still, you know what I mean? So they still want to talk to that person who's helping them plan their event. They still want to see that person there. So some things you just, you, 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 you just can't replace technology, just can't replace it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's the, the hospitality industry is a people business. Um, it's a service business. It's been around forever. Uh, it's going to be around forever. I don't think anything's going to be able to replace it, no matter how much technology comes into place. Even if you have a hospitable robot, guess what? It's still going to be hospitable, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's still what nice. You know, people still want nice. They want clean. They want to feel warm. They want to feel welcome. And we're like, and going back in your life, like where are you? Like where did you learn that? And where did you learn to appreciate that? You know, my mom is really nice. She's always smiling. Yeah. My gra- now my grandma, she wasn't a smiler. My grandma didn't smile a lot. But she was really nice. So I guess a combination of my mom smiling all the time and then my grandma being nice, <laughs> I guess it created. Because <laughs> my dad, and then my dad, he wasn't the, he wasn't the people person. He was, he was, yeah. He was a first responder, but he was, He's, he 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 wouldn't be meant for hospitality. <laughs> he, he he was meant for putting out fires, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so he was a fireman, or he's is fireman. or was? Yeah, he's a yeah was was he's re- retired. He's passed away. He's transitioned, but oh. yeah, he was a uh, he, he was a fireman for twenty five years. And guess what? Wow. I did not know he put out fires until his retirement party. Because people were telling stories. That's what he said. He said, "That what do you think I did for twenty five years?" He never talked about it. You didn't know your dad was a fireman or you thought he was behind I, a desk? I knew, he, I knew he was a fireman, but I just didn't think of him like putting out. I mean, he just, I just didn't think. He just never, he never talked about it. Oh, so it's probably like, you know, you hear about all those, you know, veterans from World War II that never wanted to talk about what they did. Yeah, like just, you there and you, you hit a wall. It was just like, boom, this was Well, his, when he retired, he started telling me stories and, mm. you know, you know, and he used to say this, you know, back in the day, long time. I remember pagers. Yeah. We were growing up, he had a pager. He's like, Devon, I'll call me anytime, even if you have to page me, even if I'm in a fire, I'll call you back. Again, it didn't dawn on me because at his retirement <laughs> party, people kept telling stories how he like saved their life. I'm like, wait, you put out fires, daddy? Like he really was like, Devon, like what did you he literally said, What did you think I did for 25 years? I don't know. That's funny. I was like, I was like, I always thought the fires, I guess, was on your day off. I just you just never talk about it. <laughs> wow. Okay. So then respecting. He wasn't and, expecting that. <laughs> no, but also, but that's fun. But so then respecting and understanding your dad was not the hospitality person, but then you have your mom and grandma over here. Like yeah. what, how did they, what did they teach you? What did they impart to you on your journey into hospitality? And what, like on your day to day from transitioning from operations to ownership, like where do you hear them whispering into your ears on the day to day? So my grandmother, she always treated, she always says to treat people better than you want to be treated. Mm. So that's always been ingrained to me. You know, Mm. even people who did her wrong and and I would say, grandma, they did wrong to me. Kill them with kindness, right? Mm. Uh, It don't matter how evil a person can be. You still kill them with kindness and still be nice. It just, sometimes it just, you just bring it out of them. And then, like I said, my mom always smiled. So I just always smile. Um, e- even when I had messed up teeth, I was still smiling. But I got my teeth fixed now. So geez, your teeth are I beautiful. Even more. Thank you. Thanks for braces. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Now and you're giving mom, me mouth envy. I, you got nice teeth too. And then my mom, my mom, she has a, uh, she has a bubbly personality. So I guess I got it from her. Mm-hmm. um she's really uh you think i'm something my mom's something else so um yeah so i guess that's where those those combinations and then um and then how i worked in and so actually how i start, got started working at the hotel it was um i was working i was at i was at georgia state university i was a student there and they were asking some of the students the atvb the atlantic commissioner visitors girl they were asking students to volunteer because they wanted to get um Atlanta visitors their perspective of Atlanta Mm -hmm. and what came out of the survey so we were surveying people who left Atlanta and so they thought well let's send college students 
because who turns down college students? So I had my little name tag and it said Georgia State University, Devon Reeves. And um, I think I still had that name tag, I think about it. And so the rooms exec came up to me and was like, you smile a lot. Scott Snipe, shout out to Scott. Um, <laughs> he got me in, it's his fault. Uh, he came up to me and he said, Devon, he said, you smile a lot. Do you want a job? It pays $10 an hour. I was like, what? I'm about to be rich. $10 an hour? I yeah. said, yes, absolutely. And so that's 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 how I got in the front desk. That's how I got in the hotel business. Okay. So someone saw a good uh, a quality in you. It happened to be the smile. And they yeah. then they roped you in. And then yeah. you're like, this is amazing. Okay. So now you've worked in operations of hotels. You're, yeah. you own three hotels right now. Yeah. What's so, in, and then in the real estate segment, you know, there's so, from multifamily to office, yeah. to residential, to whatever, to hospitality, what's yeah. keeping you in the hospitality silo, so to speak? You know, at first hospitality was my passion, right? I love the service industry. Like I mentioned before, I love the people. Um, then I saw the amount of money you can make, right? By owning one. I said, it's a lot of money in here. And then, which opened my eyes to look at other commercial real estate asset classes, such as multifamily, like you mentioned, office. Um, so, but I'm still bitten by the, the hospitality book. And then now my passion has became my purpose because there's so many people who reach out to me who work in hotels and there's so many different minorities and just people in general, they're like, I didn't know I could own a hotel and here you come, Devon, you know? So it's been now, it's like, okay, I'm clearly, I'm here for a reason um, to, I've been inspiring people. I didn't do it intentionally. I just wanted to own a hotel one day because that was my goal. And it was like check box and then boom, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, now it's like, okay, I have more work to do. Um, and plus I like the discounts. You know, you like to discount. The discounts, yeah. Cause you, you know, when you work at a hotel, you get discounts, but I stopped working oh. at a hotel. So I needed to get my <laughs> discounts back. Yeah. Ah, so then by now owning hotels, you can put in that the the code and then you always get a better rate. Yeah, I get my discount code. Yeah, that's oh, that's good. really what it is. Oh, that's the real motivation. <laughs> so for a second, now I don't I don't believe you one second for that, that that's why you do it for the discount code. Because just before that, you said you were inspiring and impacting others and like, hey, how do you do this? How do you yeah. get to know this? And I know from speaking with you before, you uh, the feeling I get from you is that with all of that good energy and the big smile, I think I, I don't know. I'm curious what your purpose is, but it's really to inspire others, right? Is that, yeah. like, what is your purpose? So my purpose is to increase the percentage of African-American hotel owners, increase, you know, women hotel owners, increase the folks who work in hotels and other lead to more front desk agents who become the hotel owners. So it's just been my purpose that this is bigger than me. Um, I can't, uh, I'm a shy person. People don't believe me. Um, so a lot of this attention is a little different for me. So it's a lot, but I've realized that, excuse me, that this is bigger than me. And every time I share my story, if I just inspire one person, it could be a student, it can be, you know, a child, it can be anybody. If I inspire one person, I, I feel like that my job is being complete. I'm done. I mean, that resonates with me so much because um, part of the reason why I've started doing this podcast is it's basically like I have these conversations with really great, smart, awesome, influential people. And then I feel like, you know, there are a lot of people listening. So in some way, I'm impacting them or changing the way that they're thinking. Right. And it kind of draws me into it. Um, and, and I don't know, I get, it's like, uh, it's a bigger feeling than, than money or other accomplishments. Yeah. It's that idea of impact. Yeah. Um, that so, is true. Yeah. so with all, so when you're doing this, before you wrote the book, you have people coming up and saying, Hey, how do you do this? How do you do this? And you're, you're inspiring and impacting others. 
Then you decide mm -hmm. to write this book. So instead of doing this like one-to-one -one communication, now you've written a book and now, you know, thousands of people can read this roadmap of how to do it. How did you, like, how did you take that step to write a book? And I'm asking you because from all these conversations I'm having, I'm in the process of, I've started writing chapters and collecting everything, but like, what was the big motivation for you? Cause I want to learn from you in taking that first step to write the book. Actually, my community. So I've built a community probably close to 20,000 folks. And I mean community on social media, email lists. Um, they basically were like, well, they found us their book on how to buy a hotel. And I was like, oh, not really. And I started looking for one and I really couldn't find one. So I was like, well, let me just write it. And um, I mean, just it really like that. I'm just going to I'm just going to write it. Yeah, let me just write it. Like it's, I mean, because people kept asking for it. And then I Googled and I was like, it's really not a book on how to buy a hotel. And so um there's not a there are some it's some information out there, but it's it's not easy enough for like the, the average person, right? Because we have to think some of the people who come across to me, they've never owned it. It's like a foreign concept to own a hotel. Like it, they can't wrap their brain around it, right? So we have to go through that and then get to the different steps. And so basically, um, I've been teaching on this since 2019. So this has just been a combination of, of, of my community talking to me, trial and error, because of course I know how to do it. But when you have somebody that's, that's brand new and they don't know, we have to break it step by step. And also with my book, um, I created a speaker series. So for the folks who bought a book, um, I have a speaker series. So I have my business partner, Mike Ely, on there. He walks you through how to analyze a hotel deal in 20 minutes or less. Whoa. I have a good friend of mine. Her name is Shannon Steele. Um, she's an African-American uh, female hotel owner. She talks about how she got into the hotel space. So she's not from the hotel industry. She's from the finance side, from banking. And then um, I have Amina uh, Dr. Amina James, she's actually one of my hotel investors, and she talks about how she got into investing in the hotels, because she, again, she's not from the hospitality space, so I brought in people, I brought in different, I also brought in um, Andre Albritton, and he talks about how to invest in REITs, because not everybody wants to buy a hotel, some people may just simply just want to invest in it, mm -hmm. right, so the book, but I'm big on education, right, you want to be you know, informed, you want to make the best decision as possible. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who will, you know, try to steer people in the wrong direction. And so I've tried to put as much information as possible and lead them to as many resources so they can really do their due diligence. And so the speaker series is about um, five, I think it's about five classes uh, where they can just listen, um, listening um, on, on um, after they read the book or during the book or whenever, and it kind of just helps them. It was a part of their pre-order experience. So the people mm -hmm. who pre-ordered the book, they were actually got a chance to listen in on it live and ask questions live. And so now that we have the replays where people can, um, like they get lifetime replays, lifetime access um, uh, to the information where they can listen in. So that's a bonus feature for the book. Wow. And then what was, I guess, what was step one and organizing your thoughts and creating the outline to write the book? Uh, mm, just, like I said, my community, them asking questions. I've been teaching a lot of courses, so I kind of learned the flow from feedback from other people. Mm -hmm. So I realized, okay, it's mindset. Okay, people want to under, then people kept asking me, well, Devon, how did you do it? Like, what's your background? So then I put that in there, right? So then how do you analyze a deal? You know, Devon, what are some of the programs for minorities? Okay, Devon, what are the different types of hotels? So outlining, I kind of outline it as a flow, like if you were to buy a hotel. Because if I make it all over the place, you're going to get confused, right? Because a lot of times people are step-by-step. Step. I'm not a step-by-step step person. I'm all over the place. But a lot of people, they need a step-by-step. Step. They need a checklist. They need to read it and be able to take notes. Um, so I did bring in an editor. Um, so I wrote the information. Um, sometimes what people, uh, I transcribe a lot of stuff. So I like spoke it. And then I'm not a writer. I hate writing. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. I love writing. Yeah, just give me a thing and record it. And so that's what I did. And so I worked with press, the press record and stand back. There you go, baby. And uh, so Annalise, um, she edited for me, um, got the graphics and everything made. Um, I self-published. So this is a self-published book. So it's on, you can purchase it on through Amazon. Um, you get a, heart, a paperback copy from Amazon or a digital copy. Um, and it's also on my, my website as well. So uh, simple. And we'll be sure. We'll put that up in the show notes as well so that there'll yeah. be an easy link to that. Awesome. Um, the, the biggest so, thing is actually just getting it done. I think yeah. I, I meet so many people who have books in their head and it's really hard for them to get it. It's just getting it out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, as far as structuring it, like I said, just, and also when you bring on an editor or if you have to bring in a copywriter to help you write it, actually, at least was my editor slash like co-writer because like I said, I don't like writing. But a lot of times we have another person I like to get people outside of the industry to take a look at it because it's foreign to them. So if it doesn't make, so a lot of the stuff, it didn't make sense to her. So that was good because then I was able to tweak it. So that way for someone who's not in our industry, who don't know what ADR, they don't know what ref, they don't know what that stuff means. So it needs to be broken down in a way where they could be like, okay, I get it now. I know where to go. I know we're, 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 we're tracking. We're good. Um, uh, now that's awesome because it, I, again, writing that book, it ties into your purpose, which is increasing the path of ownership within hotels yeah. to minorities and those and those who are socioeconomically disadvantaged. Yeah. So when you think about your purpose and then writing the book and getting out there and all the work that you're doing, like what's exciting, like what progress are you seeing and what's exciting you about all of the work that oh you've done? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It brings me, so I have a Facebook group and people posting and saying how they're looking to invest in a REIT. You know, I have somebody who just went under contract for their first hotel. Um, I have people who are investing in hotels. Um, So it's like, it's overwhelming. I get so excited when, when people take the information that, that they learn from me and they've never invested in anything before ever. Mm -hmm. And now they're investing because investing in real estate, once you understand the fundamentals, it's kind of easier to dibble and dabble in other things. And so now folks, they're like, oh, now I can actually own. And then they're sharing this information with their children. And now they're having these conversations at the dinner table. And so, I mean, just the simple fact that they heard me on the podcast or that they heard me speak at a conference or they read my book or they saw my Facebook ad or so, oh my goodness, it's just amazing um, just the community and the love and, and support. And so, and now there's some people who still don't believe it's possible. That's fine. It's always naysayers. That's fine. Whatever. I'm not worried about the naysayers. Well, right. And okay. So then, okay. Let's talk about the naysayers for a second. So, yeah. okay. The path to ownership, yeah. equity, debt, yeah. making it happen. How many times were, were you said no before the green light happened? Oh my gosh, I was saying no a lot of times. And it wasn't, I don't even think it was because of my color. Um, fortunately, I haven't experienced as much racism as some people. I've experienced a lot of ageism because mm. I'm young. Oh, you're too young to do this. Mm, I'm too young. So I've always been the youngest. So it wasn't because, oh, it's because you're black. Because I got to, I've always been a lot of times the only black person in the room you know, the only female in the room. So I didn't feel like a door was shut because so many other people blasted those doors for me and I'm grateful for them and I stand on their shoulders. But it was, oh, no, you're too young. And I have like a youthful face. Um, and so people, you know, and I'm kind of bubbly, you know, so sometimes people take it as like, okay, she immature, she didn't know she talked. You know what I mean? They don't take me seriously. Mm-hmm. And so, cause my, as my dad would say, I'm not, I'm not pit bullish enough, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so a lot of times I experience the ageism is that people who, you know, who basically like, no, they didn't think I could raise capital or they didn't want to partner with me or they didn't want to give me a chance. So that's what probably I experienced. And I'm still, I'm not experiencing as much. 
Because I think people are like, okay, yo, this chick is serious. Like, okay, she's 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 not playing. Like, she's going to figure it out regardless if I help her or not. You know what I mean? So, because mm-hmm. um, when I get focused, it's another thing coming. You better watch you gotta out. stand back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I nobody's going to, nobody is going to tell me no. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally picking that up in a, in a major way. So yeah. then, so let's say like you're, you're getting going, you're going, you're not getting yeah. going, you're going, you're gone. So yeah. like you have three hotels now. Yeah. What, where do you see yourself in five years? Like what's the goal on like portfolio of hotels, but also number of people impacted and maybe which one's more important to you? You know what I would like? To, well, I do want to hire it. I'm going to have a hire it in my portfolio. I think everybody knows I want to hire it. CEO of Hyatt, Mark Howe, amazing. Everyone knows I want to hire it. So that's my next baby. I'm going to get one. Okay. It's just a full circle, you know? Just a full yeah. circle. That's all. That's all it is. And you're I manifesting it. You're putting it out there. Now it's yeah. going to happen. It's going to uh-huh. happen. I'm a Hyatt girl forever in the Hyatt world. You know, it's, that's the only hotel I worked at. Um, But in five years, I can't wait. For somebody to say, I took your class, I saw you on tour, I heard you speak, and I just closed on my first hotel. I can't wait for somebody to say, Devon, I closed on my third hotel. I can't wait until somebody says, Devon, I have five hotels now because I took your course. Wow. That's so- what that's that's what I'm striving for. I can't, I, I can't wait for somebody to say that to me or their children. <laughs> Or their children come up to me and say, you know, my mom told me about you years ago and it's possible. And so now I own my own hotel. I love and increasing the path of ownership, which is really impacting yeah. not just the owners, but all the people that work there. Um, it has a, a real halo yeah. effect for just where the hotel yeah. is. When you I've heard this um saying. I don't know if it's a saying, but I've heard it said that, you know, talent is uniformly distributed. It doesn't matter race. It doesn't matter socioeconomic standards or whatever, but opportunity is not uniformly distributed, right? So I guess in a way you're giving opportunity to those who will read the book, listen to the course, reach out. Um, But like, how do we create more opportunity for, for more people? doing what you're doing Mm. by you bringing diverse people on your show from diverse backgrounds now you're creating opportunity when you are speaking at a conference or you're hosting an event and you have speakers and you notice that every person on that panel or every person at that conference, or every person at that event, y'all all look alike. That's where you come into place. Yeah. And you say, you know what? I'm going to bring a woman. I'm going to bring a Black person. I'm going to bring someone from the Asian community. I'm going to bring, you know, someone from the Muslim community. I'm going to bring, you know, someone from a different, from a, a millennial. I'm going to bring all of these different to reflect what the world really looks like. And that's how more opportunity can be created. You know, I'm a I'm a believer in, you know, creating opportunity for everyone, right? I was raised, I don't see color. I really don't. And um, because I went this, I was fortunate enough to go to different schools where it was diverse. Um, and so to me, you know, I have I have friends from China, I have friends from Russia, have friends from the Latin, you know, the, the their the Latinos and Latinas, I have, you know, the LGBTQ plus community, you know. So my my son, he's three, he's gonna, he's already been playing with so many different cultures, you know, because of because those these people are my friends. I don't see color. So if I have an opportunity. I'm going to think, hey, you know what? It shouldn't just be just Black people. It should be somebody from the Hispanic community, right? Or Latino community. It should be somebody, you know, from the Asian community, right? Um, because every when we think differently and everyone thinks differently, 
And when you bring in those different cultures and when you bring in those different mindsets and and I like to be around people who are smarter than me. All my friends are smarter than me. So when you bring those people around, you bring in these all these different opportunities and ideas and things starts coming together and all these these ideas and just amazing things start to happen. So that's how opportunity can be created when we start, when we look at a room or we, when, we tr- when we do something that we need to be intentional in making sure that we're more diverse. Yeah. And I think it's so, and not to begrudge any panels or, I don't know, get togethers or conferences where it's like everyone looks the same. Um, so boring. It is boring. It's a dry but piece all, of toast, no jelly, a, no butter. It's the same correct. people. With it is the same, same people, crazy. but it's also, it doesn't take that much effort to just like Mm-mm. get out of your comfort zone a little bit and get like, hey, let's get some different opinions and people who look different and all this. Because again, I think like, especially the United States, you look at what we are for all of our mm-hmm. good and all of our bad we're still a place that everyone, One most everyone still wants to come to, right? Right, exactly. So we're doing something right with our branding. And I think we just need to all open up to that and just really, and I, I also don't understand why some people are saying like, you know, oh, diversity of opinion and thought is not the, the best place to be. And like, why do we have to do that for the sake of doing it? But I'm, I say that they're just wrong. I feel mm-hmm. like we really need to lean into giving everyone a voice. And I think that's really where our strength is. I agree. I agree. And now I think, you know, more people, now more people can create their own opportunity. So for example, let's say you shop your life around and you always want to be an author and, you know, different publishers or whoever wouldn't take you or certain people won't work with you. Now you can self-publish your book. Mm -hmm. Let's say you wanted to get featured on a podcast and Nobody would ever accept you. Create your own podcast, right? So now we're in a we're in a space where you can literally be your own boss. You don't get, let's say you never get promoted at a hotel. Or you never get promoted. You never get the dream job that you always wanted. Now you can start your own company. <laughs> totally. You know, so we're in a space where you can, but it's all a to you it's all up to you and that's what I've learned from talking to so many people is that it starts with them and believing in them and you have to believe in yourself you have the confidence and I wasn't always as confident but once I started believing in myself and once I realized that the only person who could tell me no is me and once I started telling myself yes and once I started believing in myself and really becoming extremely focused i mean that's just i guess people thought i had an overnight success <laughs> after 14 years of really hard work, right? yeah exactly of the tears and and uh the the upsets the letdowns and just i i'm still kind of like in awe like every time i get on stage i'm here talking to you i'm still in awe that i'm sitting here talking to you um that you that you you know invited me to be to share this space with you, still in awe. So I'm very grateful um, because, you know, because of where I came from. So I'm just, every time I get an opportunity, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful. Well, now you're making me blush. And you said something a second ago where it was that you, you weren't always confident. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, in just hearing your story, I've seen, and just in the limited amount of time and the stories that I've heard, there's been this, there's like this hum or background noise of confidence that I get within you. Now, I know we can't be there all the time. Oftentimes our biggest roadblocks are between our two ears. It's in these yeah. six inches yeah. right here. Yeah. Um, if you, to build on the thing, on the idea that you weren't always confident, because we're not all confident all the time, what in your life, who or what event flipped that switch to like turn up the volume on your confidence? So anybody who knows me, I'm a huge Beyonce fan. Okay. Oh. So I, oh, yes, honey. I love me some Beyonce. So I feel like once you wait in line to see her for like four hours, you're automatically part of the Beehive, which I've done several times. 
Um, but she, her music is so inspiring. Her music is so motivational. Um, I've been around uh, more and more women who were strong and powerful and confident. So just being around them and um, like, so shout out to my Shiro Valerie Ferguson and Kathleen Bertrand and Erica Cross Beatty, who's some just some, I mean, I don't know if I use the cuss word, but they're just some bomb ass women. Okay. I mean, these are just some phenomenal women. So just being around them and just watching how they move and watching how they handle the room. And then they talk to little bitty old me. I'm like, what? I gotta be something. They talk to little bitty old me. And, and then with the combination of Beyonce. And then finally, at, even after all that, the light bulb just clicked. It said, Devon, do you know who you are? I had to talk to myself. Like, Devon, do you know who you are? Do you know what you have accomplished? Do you know what's inside of you? So it's sometimes where I have to remind myself and bring out the greatness in me. So that's where that confidence comes from. Um, and it's been growing, just really just working on myself and realizing the greatness that I have inside of me and, um, and just being happy and being at peace and being grateful and realizing how blessed I am. Um, so it. that's, that, that's what did it with the confidence is just really realizing how, how, how blessed and fortunate I am. Okay. So let's pretend it's like a, it's a winter, cold, rainy day in Atlanta mm -hmm. and you're, you know what, you're just not feeling it. What's your number one go-to Beyonce song? What? Wait, number one, go to child. Ooh. Um, ooh. So every time I buy a new hotel, I play Move Forever. I walk through the lobby. Oh, I haven't done it with the last two, but I did it with El Reno. So I walk through the, I always walk through the lobby when a Beyonce song. Like in your earphones or like you turn up the music no, in the, the whole speaker. lobby? Yeah, it's oh. come on now. Yes. Wow. Move Forever. Um, I love, uh, it just depends on how I'm feeling. Like I like 7-Eleven right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and is she uh, always is, your go-to oh, pump diva. up song? Oh yeah. Diva. When I walk on stage it's diva. Oh, Beyonce inspiring in so many ways. I love it. Oh my gosh. I love her. Um, okay. So now that you're, you have your confidence. You, when you're not feeling well, you're pumping up the music. You're feeling great. Um, you're unstoppable. What's exciting you most about the future? Ooh, that I'm working on this really big project and I can't wait to launch it. Um, I'm excited about that. Are you allowed to say where it is or what it is without divulging too much? Like very generally speaking. It's not a hotel. Everybody thinks it's, it's not a hotel. Ooh. It's not a okay. hotel. Yeah, so I cool. can't wait to launch it. I've been working on this for years. So this is my new baby. Okay, so that's exciting you. Yeah. When do you think- Oh, we'll and my little one. one. My little one. Your three-year-old? I got a three-year-old. That's my- What's his name? Baby. His name is Jameer. He is Jameer. so famous. Do you know when I go to places, people, they don't even ask me. They're like, how's Jameer? I'm like, you never, you never even met him before. <laughs> He's famous already. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I didn't know. I don't know him, so I can't wait to meet him also. <laughs> so, uh, so, okay, I want to go back. How old were you when you started playing clarinet? Oh, gosh. Ooh, maybe 13? 13. I'm still playing it. So I bought one last year for Christmas. Wow. And I've just been bringing it out. I don't know. It's just... Something Did you play in college too? No, mm -mm, that was my mistake. I should have played in college. So, but I, I bought one and I just been kind of playing. I still kind of got a little tune. I'm still working on getting my fingers, you know, because clarinet for my clarinet, for clarinet or something that's listening, you know, you got to move your fingers fast. So, and mm -hmm. I'm sure. So I'm still, I'm a little, I've been, I've been taking a little hiatus. I could get back on it. So, so I get back focused. So if you, the Devon of today, went back to your 13-year-old self sitting in that first clarinet seat, and then you could talk to yourself, what advice would you give your 13-year-old self? You do not know anything. You don't know anything. You need to listen. Oh, now that's awesome. And what would your 13-year-old self say back to you? Girl, you don't know what she talk about. <laughs> back then, I probably wouldn't have listened. Girl, you 
talk about it. I'm first year. But um, I would have told my 13-year-old self to enjoy the moment, enjoy the present. Um, listen, listen to your grandma, listen to your daddy. My daddy was like really wise. I didn't realize that. So listen, you know, uh, read more. I wish I would have read more. Um, I wish I would have talked to um, my godmother. She transitioned, but she was a sharp businesswoman. Um, and talk to my aunt more. She passed away too. So if at 13, that's what I would have told myself. Listen to them more and just be a sponge. Yeah. we're And that's one of the things I love about doing these conversations too. It's like, okay, I have two of these and one of these. So if I can just ask a couple of questions and really use these more, I can learn so much from everyone just but now like I'm you. Quiet more. I'm, I'm a sponge. Well, I'm now- like, okay. Now, as soon as this conversation's over, I want to go like blast some Beyonce in my I'm head. I'm telling like, you, get over some, I'm a, a diva. Get some of those old lasting projects off my plate that have just been sitting there. And maybe Beyonce mm -hmm. will, will help me get mm -hmm. the momentum to do it. Mm -hmm. I get up and uh, dance and everything. That's, I walk through the lobby. They, the, my, my employees, they, the employees, they, they laugh at me. We've never seen a hotel owner like you before. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So as I want you to also now look into your crystal ball as it relates to your properties, but also hospitality and travel as a whole, right? Here we are. It's the middle of June. Summer travel is like happening. There's talks of recession. There's all this. I like, know. how are you seeing the hotel industry and travel right now? Oh, I hate that word recession. I'm like, come on now. We just get through COVID. Come on now. Hey, how much more can our industry take? Um, what I do see, even if there is a recession, I still think that the leisure market, um, I think that they're still going to travel. Mm -hmm. um and i think they're still gonna you know they're gonna stay at some you know they're gonna go to those drive to destinations well maybe not drive to because gas is high but they may you know have staycations or um um i don't see a lot of the corporate they say corporate is coming back the corporate travel and the business travel but i'm like if it's a recession it's not coming back um but i do see like leisure like i still see people you know wanting to go to Miami or want to go to Florida or, you know, they got kids. We got kids. You got to get out the house. We got to figure it out. So maybe mm -hmm. a budget. So folks could be saying that maybe less economical or, I mean, or hotels that are more economical and affordable. So they may not be saying that full service and maybe like economy or, you know, maybe saying that those limited service hotels, um, um, places where they get free breakfast, those types of hotels. So I still see people traveling, even in a recession, just may not be as much. Mm -hmm. um but it's just because so many people have just been pent up in the house you know I, so i heard something interesting a couple of weeks ago two or three weeks ago i went to this um skiff i forget what skiff global conference and i saw oh yeah, um, yeah. The, um some higher ups from highgate and also jll talking mm -hmm. about okay there's talk of a recession that is coming but they mm -hmm. were quite confident that it wasn't going to affect travel um, on a couple of different levels. One is there's so much of the pent up demand, like you were saying, um, mm -hmm. the fortune 500 or the real corporate travel hasn't taken off and recession or not, they felt like it has to take, like those guys have to get back out to do whatever they got to do to keep the, their businesses growing. Um, and then they also said something quite interesting, which was like last summer when everyone was pent up, they would go stay in these hotels they might've been a bit run down because there's no housekeeping. There was no CapEx right. for a couple of years. Yeah. This year, you know, guests are going to be paying hundreds of dollars with their family vacation on their leisure trips. And I think the guests are going to become more discerning. Like they're going to want mm -hmm. a more refreshed room. What are your thoughts on that? They are. Are they going to, they're, they're going to, like, I just stayed at a hotel um, uh, this past weekend for a conference. It was this, this, the Swiss hotel. It was my first time staying there in Chicago um, the rooms were nice. The service, you know, they were, they were busy. Um, they were, um, I didn't limit staff, just like the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, the CapEx, I didn't see too much, you know, of an issue. Um, my hotels, uh, you know, we have some, you know, wear and tear, um, not too much, 
um, for the newer hotel, but the older hotels, we just completed a renovation. We completed a, a, a guest room renovation. Um, but I do think that folks are going to be upset with like smart TVs. Like it's going to be the CapEx, like, because if they've been pent up in the house so much and a lot of folks, if they have smart TVs and they go to another hotel, I mean, if they travel, they're going to want that same experience. Mm. Um, I think the biggest thing is they're going to want a clean room. The biggest thing is they're going to want service, right? Because, you know, I had to wait, you know, for tiles and stuff. I understand because, again, I'm in the business, so it wasn't, I was like, I just can come downstairs and pick it up. Like, it really wasn't a big deal to me. But then you have some people who, like, I paid this if I'm asking for, they may not understand, hey, we have limited staff. I can't bring you your tiles. It's only, like, one person working the hotel. Like, you're going to have to come downstairs to get it. Some people won't understand that. Um, and that's not even just with the hospitality or the hotel industry. That's just like everywhere. Like yeah. there's still places where there's still limited, there's still limited workers, right? Um, they've, these folks have become entrepreneurs or just gone to different industries and they just don't want to come back. So I think we're going to face a lot. I think labor, I think labor is probably going to trump CapEx, right? Oh, that's what I think. Yeah. I mean, cause think about it. Like when you, you're not in your room that long. Mm-hmm. But when you're in your room, you're going to want certain things and you're going to want it right now, you know, regardless of how many, and then especially for the luxury hotels that are limited staff and those type of clientele, they expect the level of service. They don't care if it's COVID or not. Like they don't care. They want yeah. what they want. You know, um, I mean, if, you know, they may not see the wear and tear in the dresser, but they want their towels, you know, totally. they want their spa. You know, they want their breakfast, like they want their room service. So that's why I, I think labor is going to trump CapEx. Awesome. And then how do you, uh, when I look at the labor market, I'm just like, I don't know how that gets fixed. What do you see? I mean, our industry, we just got to pay more. I mean, I mean, it was some hotels I saw, they're starting at the front desk agents at $10 an hour. I'm like, that's how much I was getting paid. 15 years ago. I just mm. told you, I just got, and then I wasn't even getting that many raises when I was there. I, I think one time I got an 11 cent raise when I was working. Like I couldn't, I'm not worth a quarter. Like I get 11 cents. And it's some people, <laughs> it's some people that are still facing that. They're like, I mean, the people who are still, you know, working, they worked through COVID and they got, you know, a BS raise and, and, um, or they don't feel appreciated and they overwork. Nobody want to work in those conditions. Mm. like it's it's a it's a it's a it's an employee not an employer it's an employee market right now so now some folks don't want to work um some folks are not meant for the hospitality industry i agree they're not they don't need to be here um um so and i i, I think it's a labor issue not just for the industry just in general um mm. i just you know, some people, they just don't want to work in the service industry. Um, when you work in the service industry, people are very mean. When you're in between them and their food or when you're in between them and their guest room, they can become really nasty people. And so yeah. when you don't get compensated or when you don't, you know, feel appreciated, um, that takes a wear and tear on your mental. I um, mean, especially if a lot of people were laid off during COVID and they were like, I... They didn't treat, they had a lot of time to reflect. They got to see their families more. Well, that's also what I think. I'm I'm curious as to, you know, it was so, such a deep and steep recession in hospitality that, and then every time there is a recession, travel's the first thing to cut from families and businesses. So I'm just, I'm curious, like after this one, no matter how much you pay, I'm, I'm wondering if people actually want to come back into hospitality because they got stung so many times. But yeah. on the other side, I feel like it's the best time ever to come in because everything, the labor pool is so thin that the the path towards like a really cool career in a great yeah. industry, if if you're wired for it, um, yeah. it's never been a greater time to get in. Oh, no, I agree. But um, like my, um, my nanny, she applied to work for a hotel. She got it. I guess being around me. She's like, that's what I work for a hotel. I was like, what, really? And she loved it, mm-hmm. right? 
and um, she worked at the front desk and she quit. I said, what happened? They wasn't accommodating with their schedule. Like she wanted to work. It's just that they weren't flexible with the schedule. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, here we go again. Now I understand it's a business. I get it. Yeah. It's a business. One thing about her, she'll work. It was just that they weren't paying her enough to have one job. So mm-hmm. she had to work another job. Um, and I think sometimes companies need to be just a tad bit flexible because it takes much more to hire and train and keep that person. And it's like, okay, what can you do to kind of be creative and kind of make it work so that way you won't lose talent and constantly keep looking for people? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because that that takes a wear and tear on the the, the employees that take away wear and tear on the guests, that guest experience. I'm totally. constantly bringing people on and you got to train them. And, you know, it's, 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 it's exhausting. Nobody wants to be bothered with that. Like I have patience for people who are in training. That's because I remember when I was in training, I know how hard it is, but not everybody had patience. They don't right. want to keep dealing with people that's in training. They want to check out their room, check in or whatever they need and, and be gone. They don't have time for people constantly being in training all the time. Mm. Well, I also think it's one of those things where as people, our expectations are always changing. So in a way, it's like we always have to be open to training and learning because people, we are always changing and evolving. And how do we make sure everyone happy, make sure everyone is happy? Um, Mm -hmm. Hey, Devon. So, I mean, this conversation, I know you want to just inspire one person. Well, count me inspired. And um, I'm just, I don't know, like, I feel very pumped up after speaking to you. So I'm sure as this all gets out there, um, you're going to impact so many, you're already impacting a ton of people. You're going to continue to, um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's the, where, how can they find you? I want Instagram at Devon Reeves. You go to my website, www.thevongroup.com. Pretty much on all the social media platforms. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I'm even on TikTok. Uh, right. So you can find me. I'm not and the book. We'll put, we'll put the book up as well. Yeah. The, the book is also on Amazon. How to buy a book, a roadmap to hotel ownership. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you for your time and your energy, more importantly than your time, because your energy, like it just was like a laser beam filling filling me up so thank you Yay. um and also let not most importantly i want to thank our listeners and i really hope that devon's purpose has evolved your way of viewing hospitality as a means of impact and again this is all spread by word of mouth so please if this changed the way you think about hospitality please send it along and thank you everyone we will see you next time see you next time thank you all so much for listening